Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. All right. Today we have a very special guest. Caitlin Sanchez is here. Caitlin, we're always so happy to see you. How are you doing? So much better now that I get to talk to you guys a bit again. (laughs) (laughs) So for those who don't know you, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us where you work, what you work on, and a little bit of well, you always just seem so happy. So like, how did that happen? Okay, thanks. Um, so I am Caitlin Leanne Sanchez. You can find me on Twitter at Caitlin Leanne 17. I just really like my middle name. My dad really wanted me to have that middle name. And apparently my mom smelt, spelt it wrong on the birth certificate. So it's one of my favorite stories. So I really love my middle name. That's why I use it. Um, I work with Bradford Literary Agency and I specialize in picture books and I'm moving up in the world to middle grade and YA as well. I think I'm so happy just because my parents always have been. They've always been very encouraging. Um, My dad likes to claim that he's like forever a 17 year old. And so we always just, you know, hang out, have fun. He loves to tell stories. He says one of the best things you can do in life is to be able to create songs for your kids. So (laughs) I guess that's where I get a lot of Um, my story writing kind of orientation from. He loves making up stories every time we would go somewhere. He'd be like, okay, what are we going to pretend to be when we go inside? So I get a lot of that from my dad. um, But my mom is just always so encouraging. She always told me since I was little that I should be a children's book author. And I never thought that was like a real job you could have. So I'm so excited to be in this industry and help get beautiful books out in the world. Um, with my clients. We call ourselves a team because we all work together. We have a Facebook group where we kind of commiserate at times and celebrate all together. And um, my clients work a lot together on helping each other with their books. And um, we have over 30 picture books that we've sold in the past three years. So it's been really amazing. I love this notion that you grew up in in a world where creativity was prized. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and that's such an amazing memory. And then you're just curating that as you go forward. Can you give us any creativity tips for the summer? Oh, gosh. Two things that, I, that come to mind when you say that is um, one is as a teacher, I always think I'm going to have way more time in the summer because like I'm off. Um, but then I always feel like there's a lot less time to get stuff done. And I think that's because you actually are giving yourself that mental space to, you know, step away and have fun and go to the pool and just relax and stuff. And so I think, first of all, give yourself that space because a lot of times as creators, we think we have to go, 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 go. And really, we really need that mental space for our brains to be able to bring in that those good ideas. And then the other thing is to just pay attention to those things, because, you know, when you see a kid splash in a pool, like what can what kind of creativity can come from that when you, you know, go to the Fourth of July parade like we did and you see different things that you haven't seen before, you taste different things. My daughter had her first horchata this at this Fourth of July oh, fair. What I have yeah. no, I'm from Maine. What is that? Like, uh, it's a Mexican drink, and yeah. it has like milk and vanilla and cinnamon, and it's just cool and delicious. <laughs> oh, I must try list. It sounds great. It's so good. It's kind of it's kind of milky, but I believe it's made from soaking rice and then blending it. 
Oh, it could be. Yes. I'll mm-hmm. have to ask my husband. He's the one that's half Mexican. And I'm always just like, it's delicious. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's great. Well, I think it's so important. <laughs> I think that a lot of us bust into summer, especially if we have jobs where we're working in education. Mm-hmm. I think this is it. This is the summer that I, you know, and it's not a race. Nope. Creativity is not a race. It really isn't. And I like, you know, took a break from writing myself for a while when I was agenting because it's hard to explain to someone how much work agenting is or editing is because people don't really see it. A lot of stuff goes on in the background. But I ended up, you know, taking a break from my own writing to focus on editing my client's work and doing all the work that in, that agenting entails. And I just kind of slowly got back into it. And Julie, that's exactly how I felt it was, okay, now I realize like I don't have to rush, you know, like I can send out this one query when I think that this is a good fit it and, you know, see how it goes. And I don't have to rush getting there. I can just go with the flow. I know that what I'm doing is creating for myself and hopefully it'll be for others someday. But as long as I'm happy, I can go at whatever pace I want. <laughs> I was, it was oh, interesting. Nice. I was at the beach, um, not this summer since it's rained all summer long, but last summer. Oh. And I was, you know, and it's like when you're at the beach and you're sitting there and you have like all the positive, you know, ions of the water and everything else. But when mm. you start digging into the sand, the water comes up, right? And I think that's kind of what creativity can be in the summer. Like when you're doing something and you kind of, it just kind of oozes up into you and then you're like refreshed by that and ready to write. It's a really interesting process. I'm not great at it myself. (laughs) Like I, I have to practice it. I have to remember, you know what? Yeah, it is important to go to the beach. It is important to do that hike or, or go out in the water or do whatever it is in your town. Um, but it's, it's, it's a practice of stillness that helps create the creativity. So thanks for that. I think so. And it's like, we go camping and it was funny because the last time we went camping, usually our reception doesn't work up there. It's in the mountains. And, um, this time it did work. And so I just turned my like internet off because I was like, nope, this is no reception time. I don't know why it's working right now, but I'm going to pretend like it's not. (laughs) Okay. So let's, let's back up a little bit. Can you tell us how you started in publishing and how you knew you wanted to work in publishing and going from that, wanting that and also wanting to write your own books to selling so many of them so fast while also having an entire life educating young minds? Like, please tell us how all of this is possible. Oh, thank you. Um, I'll start with a long story and you guys can cut whatever you want. (laughs) Like I mentioned earlier, my mom uh, always encouraged me when I was a little kid and she said, you know, you could be, you should be a children's book writer. And I actually, when I was like a little, little kid, I can't remember like what age, but you know, when you're the kid where they ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I told people I wanted to be a people doctor, a medical doctor and a writer in my spare time. And somehow I got it in my head that I was going to do that through like the armed forces or something. So I don't know what my education entailed. But for some reason, as a young child, I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And when I got into third grade, I didn't realize at the time I had ADHD as a kid. Um, I literally had um, my kindergarten teacher (laughs) took a sabbatical the year after my friend Ellie and I were in her class because we were just terrors. Um, But when I got to third grade, this teacher, I just call her a unicorn. Her name was Mrs. Crepe. And she just understood how to harness my energy into education. And so I started instead of trying to do other things and run around the room, distract myself, I focused my energy into learning. And so at that point, I was like, I want to be a teacher when I grow up. And so I, you know, went through that. I did the same thing that our people do. I explored other careers just to see. And I did business courses in high school. 
Um, because I always loved selling things. I was one of those kid, one of those kids where we couldn't afford to do things like play soccer and my sister do cheerleading and go on band trips and stuff if we didn't raise the money. And so I was always knocking on doors and selling things. And I remember my first really prideful moment was in middle school where I had to make enough money for myself and my sister to go on our band trip because I was in sixth grade and she was in eighth grade. So we both we both got to go if we could afford it. And um, I made extra money beyond what I needed for both of us. And so my band teacher, I vividly remember her giving me the money saying, you earned this. You can spend it at, on the trip. And so I got like some shells for my mom and I think I got like Dippin' Dots or something. <laughs> and so anyways, Aww. totally going off track. <laughs> no, I think that shows tenacious behavior, you know, like you did it. Like. I think that's uh, so many people in this industry are scrappers and I love that. Yes, exactly. And thank you. And so I um, just wanted to be a teacher from then on. I tried the business classes in high school and I remember going to a place where they sold stuff and I was like, oh, so you love this kind of stuff. And they're like, no, I just tried to, you know, upsell people so that I can get more money. And I was like, oh, that is not what I want to do with my life. So I went back to the, you know, teaching path and um, that has had its own struggles, but it's just been wonderful. And um, when I, I think when my daughter was about one years old, I had been making up songs. Like I said, my dad's big thing is like the best thing you can do in life is make up songs for your kid. So I took actually a song that my sister and I made him sing to us a thousand times every night before we went to sleep and um, edited it to, you know, fit with my child and her upbringing. And I still sing it. We, I sang it four times last night before bed. Um, and so my mom again said, hey, you should be a children's book author. And I had a friend at the time that was trying to write children's books. And she posted on Facebook, hey, does anyone want to try to help me edit this book so I could try to publish it? And so it's kind of like, and then of course, as a woman in STEM, because I teach math, um, I had heard recently probably like an NPR story that had to do with, you know, trying to get more children's books with math or something. And so it was like the convergence of all those things like, okay, I'm going to try this. And so, of course, I did everything wrong. I tried starting by writing in rhyme. I only wrote one book. And so I was actually really um, lucky that one of the children's book authors that we loved was Ruth Spiro. And I could be saying that wrong. Please forgive me if I am saying it wrong, but she does all the baby loves books. And so I just found her website and emailed her. I was like, look, I have this book. What should I do? And she was so nice. She responded. And she was, you know, like, if you have only one book, definitely go straight to publishers because agents want you to have more than one. And that was my first foray into the business. And it just starts with the kindness of others. And um, so I did a lot of things like KidLit411. I saved up some money to, you know, get into SCBWI. I remember my first like picture book boot camp was um, with Ariel Richardson in Fresno at my alma mater at Fresno State. And she was just brilliant. Like there's still things that I like, quote from her to this day. And that was like years ago now, like six years ago, I think. And but the thing that I just remember every time I go to any of these events or I join any of these groups like Manuscript Academy and different things like that, like just everyone is just so kind and willing to share. And I just Whoever decided with books that people shouldn't be in competition with each other, but they should, you know, help each other and support each other. I really want to like thank them, like just meet them and shake their hand and be like, thank you for making this such a positive community. And so I started doing some, I had a whole bunch of critique groups. I'm like a super obsessive person. So I had like nine critique groups at the time for picture books um, because I just really loved reading other people's stuff and helping edit their stuff. And uh, one of my critique groups got really obsessed with these picture book um, blog contests. 
um, by Susanna Hill and Vivian Kirkfield does some too. And they're at different times of the year. So Susanna Hill's, she has like a Valentine's one. Vivian does one after that in March for um, Dr. S- uh, Dr. Seuss holiday. And then there's like an empty period. And then Susanna Hill's don't start back up until like October. And so we were like, oh my gosh, <laughs> we aren't going to have these anymore for like months. What are we going to do? So my one of my critique partners, Sierra O'Neill, said, let's make up our own. Let's make up our own competition. And so I was like, cool. And she wanted to do it in our own group. And I was like, no, let's take this to the masses. Like, why not? Everyone want to do this with us. <laughs> and so I started that contest with her called Spring Fling Kidlet. And my favorite, favorite part of that was connecting the creators at the end. Because if you were one of the winners, you got to choose a prize that could be a book um, or a critique or, you know, some kind of thing like that. And just connecting creators and seeing them just, you know, learn and grow together. That was my favorite part. And that's when I decided that I wanted to become an agent. I um, was critique partners with um, Andrea Hill and James McGowan at the time, and they were both interns at different agencies. And so I was like, is this what agents do? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, okay, I want to do this. And so I, (laughs) as a true millennial, I went on Twitter and was like, this is my new life goal. (laughs) And then um, Andrea connected me with, with Anna Allswinger, where she was interning at Allswinger Literary. And one of my critique partners was someone that was like an expert on uh, resume writing. And so she was like, you need to make it clear that you want to become an agent, not just be an intern. And so I was like, "Okay, I'll do that. And so, you know, Anna was like, sure, I'd love to have you. And the rest is history. Sorry that I gave you the super long version. (laughs) No, I know. I love it. Amazing. I mean, I think you 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 hit on a lot of things that we try to do here at the Manuscript Academy. And I think. It's so cool for me to hear. So when I put on um, Squam, when I when I found Squam Lake, Vivian came, Vivian Kirkfield came, mm-hmm. and I love just for you guys listening at home. Like when you meet someone somewhere, like you remember them. Like that's what's pretty amazing about this industry. Like you know, like we are literally six degrees of separation. You know, and that's so rewarding to hear these names floating years and years and years, and and that we just believe that it can be a positive place, even though. At times, like on Twitter lately, <laughs> um, you know, it, it can feel like it's just like all ruthlessness and despair. But but there's so much positive within this industry, even though it's hard. We didn't quite fill in how you went from interning to agent. Okay. Can you tell us oh, about that? Um, let's see. From interning to agenting. Okay. So in my letter, like I said, one of my critique partners was like, you need to make sure it's clear. You know, I said, I want to become an agent. So, you know, I knew that I was on that track and I knew that that's where I wanted to go. And so she's like, how about we, you know, try things out for at least four months where, you know, essentially as an intern, I was kind of supporting her in anything she needs. So she would like say, hey, we need a, you know, new cover concept for this book look up some stuff and send it to us, you know, so I'd read the book or read the synopsis and then do a deep dive into images and, you know, send them back or, um, you know, can you help edit this picture book or, you know, different things like that? Can you try to find, you know, out different information about this publisher or things like that? Um, and so she said, Let, let's try that for four months and see how it goes. And then we can talk again about, you know, you bringing on your own clients. And so I think what happened it's been three years now, but I've learned that my it's not because I'm getting old, <laughs> but my brain is doesn't work the same with its memory that it used to because I just have so much editor and publisher information where you have to like remember like who works at what imprint so you can submit to this person but not this person at the same time and if this person passes you could send it over there and all the thing all the interests that these editors have so that you can make sure that you send the book to the right person 
Um, so my brain is much more filled with that now. So my memory isn't always as good as it used to be. But I think what happened was Anna was like, oh, here's a client that, you know, is working on something that you've been pretty good at. Do you want to try to, you know, kind of help them with this story and get it on submission? I think we did that with two of her authors. Um, we ended up selling a book for one of the authors, not the one that I worked with her on, but a different one. So I got to help out with that contract um, and deal negotiations and everything. And then when Picture Book Party came around, my friend Mindy Els Weiss, we were, I think, agent sisters at the time. Maybe not, maybe not till later on. But she um, wanted me to be in the Picture Book Party event that they have where you can submit like the first 50 words of your manuscript and your query and they'll pick some and then do a showcase and agents and editors can come request stuff. And I wasn't technically agenting yet, but, you know, she asked me. So I asked Anna, like, hey, can I do this? She's like, she's like, OK, you can definitely do this. And, you know, we'll talk about you coming a becoming a fully fledged agent when you, you know, sell your first deal. And so I um, actually think I brought on one of my first own clients. Yes. Laura K. Zimmer was my first client. She was referred from a friend. And um, I think I had about three clients by the time I sold my first book. And then I was like officially an agent. So that's kind of how it worked. And and it works totally differently in, in every different agency. You know, the progression from intern to agent is, you know, whatever that agency deems works for them. So, yeah, I mean, that sounds actually pretty fast. And how nice that she was like, hi, you should have less than a year ago and, and let's work on some books. Yeah, she's very cool. And, you know, I did a lot of like building things on my own. So I was like, well, how do you do submission list? She's like, well, you know, go to Publishers Marketplace, go to Manuscript Wishlist, you know, go to all these things. And then I remember reading a um an scbwi um spotlight on an editor at random house i think and i was like oh this would be perfect for one of my clients she would really like this book and so i knew that her inbox would be super flooded because any scbwi person could submit during that time so i asked Anna, i was like can i just like call her she's like yeah and so that's when i first realized like oh i can like call these people and like get to know them and then that's when everything just took off as i got to start meeting people and getting to know their interests and editor calls are like my favorite thing. Whenever I have an editor call, I know that that day is just going to be the best because people, at least in that I've met in this industry, are just so excited to help bring good things to the world. And so every time we talk, it's always we always go way off subject, <laughs> but we always just have a blast just getting to know each other because they're great people. It's funny. It's kind of like how, you know, if you go to Trader Joe's and someone is just like average nice, you're like, what happened? Um, <laughs> it's kind of like that with editors, too, I think. I love that. Something about shopping in this grocery store, it seems like every single person is like so happy to be there. And you you go to bring your cart, you know, you get them to bring up your groceries. They're like, oh my gosh, I love this. Have you tried it with this other thing? And I don't know. I just, I find it so delightful that like even like kids who you'd think would be way too cool to like even give an adult the time of day, like there'll be like 18 year old boys, like you've got to try this pie crust, try this pie crust and try it with this other thing. It's so good. I love this. So I just, I want to like, because I think this is really interesting. Like, so you have this world where there's create, like just going back to where we start with creativity, like conversations are actually activating things with other clients and what, and you know, what's selling in one spot might activate where selling another spot mm -hmm. and the, the, the industry, I, this is what I kind of think about it sometimes. Like, have you read the book about the trees and how the trees roots kind of communicate with each other. I, I feel like mm -hmm. publishing is yeah. an amazing spiral of root systems, you know, where... That's a beautiful analogy. 
Well, thank you. I don't know why, where it came from. <laughs> but I mean, I think it's just interesting because it's just like, as we're going through this, there, it, it, it's such, it's, it's trying to explain the movement of, you know, when trends shift or change or, or everything, it's because it's just so, it's like a symbiotic relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really think, you know, it's really like even though it's such a huge business now, like it's still down to word of mouth. Like I think every book I've read this year has been something where I either saw it on Twitter or a friend recommended it. Like my favorite books, like one of my favorite books um, a few years ago was I think it's called Nevermore. And when I started reading it, the opening like confused me. I had no idea what was going on. And I'm one of those people that does not like when openings confuse me. Some people love those books. I'm generally not. But my friend, Laura Gill, who's a wonderful writer, she's got so many picture books and board books and all kinds of stuff. And she was like, Caitlin, you have to read this. It's so good. And I was like, okay. So I got through that first chapter and everything was phenomenal after that. But if she didn't recommend it to me, I would not have read that first chapter. I would have been like, eh, is it? I'm confused. I'm, I'm not ready to move on. <laughs> That's so interesting. I, that that you know, we talked about that first chapter all the time. So you would have lost out on this amazing group if yep. this amazing project, if someone had pitched this story to you because yep. that first chapter. Exactly. But it published that way, you know, and like, I think one of my agent friends recommended, or maybe she tweeted about it. I can't remember, but the phenomenal book, they both die at the end. Oh my gosh. Well, that so was amazing. Can we just go back on this for a few more minutes? Like, yep. So you weren't attached to this book, but it's one of the favorite books that you've read in the past year. As an agent, would you have changed it once you get to the end or would you have gone back and redone that beginning? Right. So it's not like a work you clearly, you clearly, and I guess I'm just poking at this because it just shows how subjective and how much comprehension is based on personal you know, like experience with something. Yeah, that's actually interesting. Is I did go back and read that first chapter again. And like after you read it, that first chapter is phenomenal. But it's one of those where like you have to go back and read it. So I don't think I would have been able to figure out another way to introduce it well. But it's definitely one of those things where it's like, it's when you go back. It's it's almost like when they make a prequel after they make like a trilogy mm. and you're like, oh, this is brilliant, you know. So that's kind of how it felt to me. So I wouldn't have been the right person for the book, but I enjoyed it once I got into it. Well, that's what I love. That's and, so interesting. Right. And so like if you have a first chapter that you think and people are like, I'm not connecting with it. And you're like, it needs to be there. Like it needs to be there. And then you hold on and then you have this book that everyone's talking about. And so just something to think about, like stay true for the writer out there, just, just stay true to what they think that star should be, no matter what the industry says. Something else that this brings up, though, agents can only read your book for the first time once. Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me almost as if the chapter was left in by people who had read the book more than once. And we're having the perspective of this makes sense because I know what happens later. Yep. And maybe that's one of those things where if they had been editing from the viewpoint of seeing it the first time, it would have been different. Yeah, that's, that's, fresh eyes are so important because a lot of times we think we, we just don't realize, you know, and like so if you do have good beta readers or good um, critique partners, that is one thing I recommend is sometimes don't share it with everyone. That way you do get those fresh eyes every now and be like, hey, friend, I'm going to I'm going to hold you off so that when I get to my other edits, you know, you get to be the person with fresh eyes kind of a thing. Yeah, you get to decide who's an early beta reader, who's a later detail oriented beta reader. Most people edit from big, large scale stuff down to the smaller scale stuff. So you could actually look at that timeline and fit your beta readers along where they are the most talented. 
That's so smart. I love that. And back to Julie's point about, you know, holding true to yourself is there's a huge balance in this industry about holding true to yourself and listening to others. It's a huge balance. But I also like to give those success stories, you know, like one of them, I want to say it's called Count to Bananas. It's a picture book. And it's now um, started with a counting book. And now it's um, an alphabet book. And I think there might be a third one on the horizon. Um, And it's with Penguin Books with their new Flamingo imprint. And, you know, it was one of those ones where people were like, uh, people don't kept telling the author, oh, they don't need more counting books, you know, and she found the perfect editor that just loves it. And it's this brilliant book that's turning into like a series, you know, and that doesn't happen very often with picture books, but she just made this great banana character that, you know, really goes into things. And um, ironically, when I interviewed her on my blog, I was like, oh my gosh, this is just like one of my clients' book styles, like not the book itself, obviously, but just this style. And so I was like, we're going to submit to this editor and she's the one that bought the project. So, you know, all about connections and everything, you know, symbiotic. <laughs> I want to read a banana counting book. <laughs> it's so good. I'll go find it. I have I have a baby gift to buy. I'll go look for it. But that's but that's the thing, right? Like, no, no one wants it. You know, it's not good enough. I don't like this first chapter. You know? And like it can feel so hard to be hearing the nose, but then it's just like it's like that perfect shoot, right? Like the bananas in the shoot and hits the right agent, like bananas, and then there's like a, a agent that like really maybe worked with the gorillas and now really wants bananas. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous, right? It's just it's so random. So one thing that happened to me one time is that I had a reader who said this manuscript is absolutely amazing and just read the whole thing, just get there. And the first chapter did not work for me at all. And ultimately the note was cut this chapter, which takes me like five seconds to say to the author, right? But yeah. had I not had that reader get that far and tell me to keep going, mm-hmm. I might have said no. Yes. And it's so hard finding that balance because, you know, at the same time you want to stay true to yourself, but then you also like this business is all about collaboration because when you have editors, when you have beta readers, when you have people giving you feedback, they're giving it to you to try to help you. And that's why voice is so important in this industry, because once you write enough to start understanding what your voice is, what story you're, you're trying to tell what you're trying to get across, then you can bring in that feedback and take what really works for you. You know, you hear it all the time, take what works for you and leave the rest. And when you're first writing, I remember this vividly, like I tried everything because I didn't know what to take or what to leave, you know? And so you have to kind of just go through those steps though. You know, there's obviously those exceptional people. Like my husband's one of those people that he just can write whatever and he knows it's good. And if someone gives him feedback, he will know immediately whether he needs to use it or not. I'm not one of those people. I take my time. I'm like, okay, let me hate this this feedback at first because it's going to take a lot of work (laughs) and then give it some space and then come back like, oh, this is brilliant. I get what they're saying. And for me personally, like the way I give feedback is I give examples because I like to get into a character's head. And so like I'll give an example and I like tell my clients like I'm not giving you this example because I want you to use these words. I'm telling you what I'm hearing in my mind and I want you to use that as like a jumping board because I think it may be, you know, being a teacher But I've talked to a lot of editors and they're the same way where it's like the idea of giving an example can really get things flowing. Like I could say like, find your voice. And someone could be like, what do you mean? But when I give examples, like with Sherilyn Kenyon, like she loves to make a point by instead of ending a paragraph with like a succinct sentence, she'll enter down to the next paragraph line and put a short sentence there to let you know, to let the readers know that, dang, this is my point. This was so important that I entered down a whole nother line and made a super succinct sentence, you know. 
So like when you can give concrete examples, sometimes that can really help people that are new. But once you start writing and writing and writing and reading and reading and reading and writing and writing and writing and you start figuring out what's your style, then when you're getting this feedback, you can kind of know like, oh, yeah, like one of my first clients, Alyssa Reynoso Morris, who is just super hot seller, her first book, Platanos Our Love, when she sent that to me. I think she sent a different book first. Yeah, I think she sent Gloriana Presente first, and then I asked for more. And I fell in love with the first book, but I also fell in love with um, Platanos. And the big thing was we had a call to like talk about edits. And I was like, I love that this is like fry bread. And she's like, yes, thank you. Like all my critique partners don't understand this. They haven't read fry bread. They don't, they don't get where I'm trying to come from. And so it's like having that knowledge of the industry. If you don't, if you haven't read recent stuff, then you don't kind of know where things are going and you can't adapt with it as well. So when we say write, write, write and read, 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 we're not just like saying that because we want you <laughs> to, you know, do other things. We're saying that because that really does make it so that you understand what's working in the industry and what things you can pull from for your own voice. Well, I think it's interesting because when you work with books and children and writing, right, there's things sometimes, and I see this after doing all those three things too, well, not as an agent, but you know what I mean? Um, but sometimes you can tell, like, it, it's like a timing thing that you know that if you don't get to a kid at, you know, with this much time, they're going to gla glaze over. Yeah. And, and often it's that movement within the page. Like instead mm -hmm. of saying there's a cake, go lick your finger really gross and like swipe <laughs> the cake and, you know, or whatever, right? By just like, it's sometimes it's that simple. It's yep. just like looking at the scene and putting an action versus just a telling. But like you have to read to children or know how children respond um, to really get that sixth sense. Like give us like a, you know, like, three things that a writer can do to jumpstart those opening pages. Can you, can you think of anything? Okay, let's see. Um, oh, that's such a tough question. I know. This is always going to be my recommendation is read, <laughs> read, 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 read more. But that's my main recommendation for, you know, everything when it comes to when people are like, what do you mean show don't tell? Or what do you mean, you know, have a different opening? Or what do you mean, you know, circle back to the beginning for a closing? A lot of things that we like to recommend for picture books. And I read, read your favorite authors, you know, like I'll recommend someone, I told someone, you know, add a little bit more quirkiness, like this is a really cool story. But without that added quirkiness, it's not, it doesn't really stand out. It's so it's kind of, you know, a regular day kind of thing, which, you know, slice of life stories are great too, but they have to give you still something unique. So I suggest they add in quirky and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, go read some Adam Rath. <laughs> go read some Tara Lazar. Like, go read quirky people. Go read some Dan Santet. And, like, you know, go read some Amy. And I want to say her last name, Steichman, but I could be saying it wrong. Amy, sorry if I say I think it wrong. that's right. I think okay. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, this but is a, go that's read a quirky just, people. <laughs> yeah. And you just hit such a great character list. I mean, author list with yeah. amazing characters. Yeah. I Like, when I was screenwriting, I'd always be like, well, this is perfectly good, but it's very boring. <laughs> With a nice voice, you know, and, um, but what's interesting is like taking one thing and making it different, like, like taking grandma and putting her on a motor, on a Harley, you know, yes. like whatever, it doesn't even matter what it is. It's just like, we, we, I think it's easy to write into expectations. It's difficult to pull from expectations that we have and turn it around to something you're like, whoa, that's yes. interesting. Yes. 
I just read the um, Vera Wong's unsolicited advice to, to murder. And they, you know, totally mm. did that. It's like, you don't expect, you know, this old lady to be into, you know, solving this mystery, this murder. And it's brilliant. And what is brilliant about it is not that concept, though that's very cool. It's the way that she created the character is you just fall in love with her and the food that she makes. And I literally had to get pork buns and I was like aching for pork buns until I got them reading this book because it was such great I food description. I love <laughs> aching for pork buns. Yep. It's they're delicious. Mm. The best. And luckily we have a great place that does them. Like there's a couple places around here where I'm like, nah, they're okay. But this place, mm, mm-hmm. spot on the best. What do you wish writers knew about things on your side of the desk? Oh, that's so hard. Um, I think it's especially coming from the writing side. I remember when I was a writer and I was querying and, you know, I'd get those great responses of this is awesome, but it's not for me. And I did not believe that. I was like, I don't understand why they're saying no. Like, can't they work with me on it? You know, what is the issue with, you know, trying to bring me on? And now from this side, I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, it is a huge time investment. Agents do not get paid until they sell something and they put in a ton of effort prior to that. And so you have to really love something. And I heard it a million times as a writer, like, oh, the agent has to really love something, you know. But like now that I've like lived it, I'm like, okay. And like, it's hard to tell people this is really awesome, but I'm not the person for it. But it's so important to do that because you leave that person open to finding someone who really loves it and is really going to invest all their time and energy to making sure that they're getting it out there and they're finding the right people for it. And then once it's sold, making sure that you have the best, you know, deals and that they're helping, you know, market because they love it just as much as you do. And I actually have a problem sometimes with my clients <laughs> and I'm very honest. So they know where we just sold a book this morning. Yay. Um, but it was one of those that um, she did a, a revision and um, the editor that asked for the revision, we sent it back. She's like, oh, this is so much better, but it's still not quite there. Um, so we decided to use that revision for the next round and got another editor. He was like, this is really awesome, but, you know, I would love it to see it this way. So then she did that revision and that's the one that it sold on. And I told her <laughs> when I called her about this deal, I was like, I just want to make sure that you're still fine with it being this, you know, new ending because I really still miss that first beginning and I always will. And she's like, yeah, but I love all versions of my stories. So I'm fine with it. And I'm just like, OK, good, because I still miss that. <laughs> first beginning or first ending. So I really get attached to a lot of their versions of their stories too. And so it's not just, I guess that's one thing that I would want people to know is we as agents are just as invested in these wonderful books as the, as the clients are. Yeah. I definitely get mad if someone gives edits to a client and I'm like, disagree. (laughs) Obviously they're allowed, but Yes, exactly. It's like, oh, I missed that. I remember when I went to, um, I think it was like like a street fair kind of book event. And the author was like, you know, we had like bought one of her books. And she's like, do you want to see what it was before? <laughs> We're like, what? And so she like took her Sharpie and wrote in the two lines that the um, editor suggested she take out because she still loved them so much. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Resurrecting your darlings in the street. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think this is all we can ask for as a writer, as a writer, right? It's like, we're never going to have 100% in on our work. But if you have someone that just gets you, Mm -hmm. I think no matter what happens in the outcome, someone else looks at your work and gets it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm coming to the conclusion that's one of the most important things. We never talk about it. And it's any other human, you know, it's like, 
what is the end goal? Like maybe it's just that. Yeah. And I have talked to people. I've had a couple of, you know, great potential clients where I'm just like, oh my God, I see this. I get this. I know where it's going to land. I totally see that. But I don't love it as much as I hope someone else will. And that was one of my favorites. I think it was, might've been through, yeah, it was through the picture book party event. I like requested it and I requested more and I totally got it. I was like, this is like some John Klassen, like interesting, different, weird, awesome kind of stuff. Almost like a cross between John Klassen and Shel Silverstein, like just like this very weird, but awesome kind of thing. And I was just kind of hesitating on offering because there was something that was holding me back. And when she said someone else offered to her, I was like, oh, thank goodness, because I love your work. I can see it out there. I see what you're doing. But there was something that was holding me back. And I think it was just I knew that I wasn't the person that could help her edit that style. Like it was almost just too out there for me to be the one to help her with it. And so it just made me feel so happy and relieved to know that like someone else just like wasn't just like, I see it. I know it. It's going to be awesome. But like, I see it. I know it's going to be awesome. And I love it. And a lot of that's operating on faith, right? You know, there's the faith of, I love this. It needs to exist. Mm -hmm. But if it was meant to be with me, I would have that last little push that like, you know, this is so often you get to like, it's like that last 5% that makes Mm -hmm. it happen or doesn't, right? You can be like, all right, I see this checks all the boxes. I really enjoy it. I know where I'd send it. I like the author, but there's just that last little push. And if you don't have it, you just have to trust that somebody else will. Yes. And I think that's the hardest part as an agent, like when you're a new agent, not being able to figure that 5% out, you know, like I'm still new, but like, you know, with your guidance, when I was at Context and with the wonderful, you know, support that I had at Allswinger and now here at Bradford, like I'm starting, I think those conversations within house are like really important because that's where I'm starting to see like, okay, I have to have that gut instinct. And, you know, we're in a society where we like to go against our instincts because it helps us survive as a society. And so we have to try to figure out what to follow and what not to. And so that collaborative effort of agencies in general, just, you know, like sharing the wisdom, but also just, you know, having that conversation is really helpful. Yeah. You just sometimes have to talk through it to know how you really feel. It's often not something that's like a definite yes or a definite no. It's often I really like it. But then in talking about it with other people, you watch what you say Mm -hmm. and then you know. Exactly. And once you realize that, you're like, oh, I would be a good person for this, but I want this person to have the best person for this. So it's an instinct. Kind of. It's Mm. an instinct and a conversation and your market knowledge and a lot of research and a lot of educated guesses. And that's why sometimes it doesn't work out. Because sometimes you take on the first book. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes you take on the first book and it doesn't work out. And then at first you're like, did I make a mistake? But then you sell books two, three, and four. And you're like, oh, (laughs) I was right. Yes. And that's one of my favorite stories. My client, um, DK Ryland, She was one that I think what actually happened was I think she queried me, but then she was also in the picture book party and I like requested again. (laughs) And so it was one of those ones where I thought that it was the fourth picture book that we sent out. But then she went back through and was like, no, it was the sixth picture book. So the sixth picture book dummy that we sent out for her is the first one that sold. 
And we both thought like she had like three dummies that she had sent me when um, when she submitted when she queried me. And we totally thought one was super going to sell. And then we're like, oh, and this one, you know, definitely has potential too. And then this other one. So, you know, we just like kept going, kept sending stuff out. And she just kept working. You know, like I didn't tell her like, hey, keep working on other stuff. She's just like, I'm going to keep working on other stuff to keep myself busy and because I just enjoy this. And it was like the sixth one that we sent out that became her first book. It's coming out this fall. It's called Giraffe is Too Tall for This Book. And we're so excited about it. And it's so adorable. And, you know, it wasn't like we actually went back and sold some of the other ones. I think the second one is coming out with Penguin next year, the Flamingo imprint. That's the one I was telling you guys about earlier. And that's called Have You Seen My Acorn? Adorable story so about cute. this squirrel. <laughs> well, I think that's that's always the question, right? So, like, nothing you write is for naught. Right. So yeah. like you sold the sixth one, you went back and sold the second one. Once the second ones, maybe there's some revisions with the third or the yep. fifth. I mean, it's exciting. It, it is. And it's like it's a roulette like, wheel. It totally blows my mind. Like those are my favorite kind of stories. Like my other one of my other clients, Jolene Gutierrez, we just sold the first picture book that she sent me that, again, we thought was totally going to sell. And she did a whole bunch of different visions for different people. And we still didn't find the right person, you know, two and a half years later we sold all these other books. And then all of a sudden, this one editor that she has, we were like, I think she might like this. And ironically, the, it's based in um, in Colorado. And this editor, we didn't know at the time, was originally from Colorado too. And so she was really into it too. And we ended up selling it two and a half years later after we sold all these other projects. You know, So it's always about you know coming back and finding the right person. And it's so devastating at the time to feel like we just did a round. Okay. Didn't work out. Are we going to go another round? Are we going to do edits? And like, there's a lot of stuff, you know, and being willing to put in the effort is so much part of it, but also just having that mental ability to just be like, okay, we're going to keep going is like one of the hardest parts about this industry. That perseverance is so hard. But then once you get, once you get that hindsight 2020, like, oh, it's totally worth it. We found the exact person. It just happened to be way longer down the road than we expected. <laughs> well, I'm so happy. I'm always happy to hear a good story with that. I'm so happy for you and your clients and your continued success. And, Thank you know, you. you just are such a lovely, positive person. And I'm so happy we got to talk with you today. Thank you. And always the same with you. You are just the most wise, empathetic person that I ever talked to. Like you just really understand where people are coming from, even when they don't. I think that's one of my favorite things about you is like you can take something that like I'm trying to say and like you're just a great editor. And you're like, oh, this is this is what you're you're meaning. But you don't do it in like a rude way, like, you know, mansplaining, like trying to <laughs> correct <laughs> <hope> someone. <laughs> but in like a, oh, my God, that's what I really meant. Like you're like this guru with words, you know, where you like pull things out. And that's why you're such a good agent because you can pull out the edits that people need and see what books can become. I, I do love that. I love when I'm like, hey, actually, you know what this could be? And then <laughs> not only do they take my edits, but they run with them. And it's it's so much more. It's a really magic. beautiful experience. Yes, that's magic. Oh my gosh, that was an amazing close. It made me so happy. Yay. You guys are the best. I just really love talking with you guys. And I love everything that you do. And Manuscript Academy, just I hope you guys know, like those of you that are listening and are thinking about doing a meeting and, you know, wondering how it's going to be for agents. It's wonderful, too, because we also have to get rejections all the time for these pieces of work that we adore. 
And so it's the best when we get to talk with creators and help pull that story out of them and help give them advice on how to make their query really stand out. And though, whenever I do meetings with Manuscript Academy, it just like makes me so happy. Like I leave my computer and I go, well, I had a great day today, you know? <laughs> my gosh, thank you for that. Appreciate you. We appreciate you. And especially when you guys send emails to Manuscript Academy and you tell them like, oh, I had so much fun. And like they forward them to us and they're like, hey, look at this awesome response. Look at what someone thought. And that makes my day. And I, I think there's been a couple of times recently where they forwarded me something like, oh, my God, I was having such a horrible day. Thank you for making it so much better. <laughs> That's really nice. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but the, the writers we get are just so lovely and cheerful. And I always feel so much better about the world after talking with them, too. So agreed. Good vibe central. Mm hmm. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. Thank you so much for being here, Caitlin. All right. Have a good day, everybody. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And that only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our First Pages podcast, you can send it to Academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages Podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.